signs. Well, oh, I hope very that's, nice. I hope that's a beer. I hope that's a beer. Yeah. That's, that's a good soundbite. That, that's a perfect. That's a perfect. <laughs> yes, it is. Slash <laughs> <laughs> my friend. Quarters, what's up, shop for news, views, and overreactions, all things NFL. Fuck, that was a game. You, you, Connor hasn't stopped drinking since. <laughs> so, hey, we got Connor, we got Harry. Hello. We've got Ronan. Hello. We got Sean. Hello. And we got Gary. Hello. So, hey, guys, how's tricks? How are we all getting on? How are we all feeling this morning? Alive, that's amazing. <laughs> I am very much in the barely well, in that category. Not Gary, from what I hear. Yeah. yeah, Gary seems to be a lot more chipper than we are the, the fucking youth. He's young, yeah, he's got that youthful vigour still. It's yeah. amazing what a big pot of coffee can do for your lungs. <laughs> yeah, you see, we're, we're in survival mode. We're having we're having beers here to try and make sure that we can uh, stay upright and talk about I, the pot. I foolishly opened an alcohol-free one now, and I think I'm going to regret that. Oh, interesting move. Erdinger grapefruit alcohol-free. Nice. Pretty nice. That sounds like a bottle of beer that I would look at in a shop and say, "Oh, kill me if I ever get to the point of buying that." It's just a fizzy drink. Like it's just grapefruit flavored soda, and I love grapefruit. So okay, fair enough. Non non alcoholic Erdinger is uh, marketed as a sports drink. Yeah, well, there you go. I'm being healthy. <laughs> He's about to go and run a half marathon. I think, now, so. I think it's about eighty percent sugar, to be honest with you. They chug one at every turnover. It's actually got 0.3% alcohol. So there you go. <laughs> there we go. You just get a little teeny tiny bit buzzed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's 50% regular non-alcoholic Erdinger, 50%, and I quote, refreshment drink with grapefruit juice. Oh, refreshment drink. That's a... Uh... That, that's what that's I'm, my favorite flavor. I'm looking forward to. <laughs> nice. I'll get back on the beer after this, I think. Oh, my. So, lads, Super Bowl last night. Good fun. Very much not what we were expecting. Oh, oh shit. Did I miss it? Not, uh, very much not what we were uh, expecting to have at the end of it. It's, uh, you know, 31 to 9 to the Buccaneers. Jesus Christ. Not 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 my, my, not my most enjoyable uh, <laughs> Super Bowl to be watching. <laughs> I was still kind of half holding out hope for a rally at the end. <laughs> yeah, instead of me, uh, Buccaneers defense in particular did a fucking cracking job of shutting down Mahomes, getting the pressure on him. Particularly, I think his opening section, he was like two of ten yeah. or something. It was uh, it was ridiculous. I suppose initially, just what's what what what's the feelings on the results, and then we'll kind of start diving into quarter by quarter and, and position by position. But uh, yeah, for me, I was. I was a bit shocked by how good the Buccaneers' defense played. We had a long conversation about how they were just doing an exceptional job of they weren't uh, actually moving on the defense at all. They were just handing off assignments as movement happened in the backfield, which is an awful lot of Kansas City's game. And they didn't change fronts. They didn't change position, although they did change what the assignments were during it without changing personnel or moving at all. And it kind of shut down an awful lot of what the movement-based kind of finding openings of Casey's offense were. And that impressed the shit out of me, but it was also just... It takes it takes a very disciplined off, uh, defense to do that, but 
it also was just like it wasn't the game that they had played beforehand and it was just very well game planned that for me I think was the biggest thing that I saw just in, in a general sense of just how good they were at wordlessly not showing that they were moving yeah I think that was, that was a huge thing so I was saying to you uh, when Casey was struggling initially they were going to start showing more movement than they did but then you could see Tampa just weren't at all falling flat and it was weird because Tampa spent a lot of that game basically essentially playing a cover two, fairly basic cover two zone scheme uh, on the back end but there was a lot of pressure and blitzes coming through so it's a combination, obviously, of the defensive assignments you talk about being run really effectively and really good handing off of assignments um, as players move down the field. But the only reason they were really able to do that, I think, well, not the only reason, I think one of the key reasons they were able to do that was Casey's O-line, which is in absolute bits, played like a bunch of backups, which it is. So it's much easier to play zone against Mahomes when he's got like one second to throw the ball every single time. <laughs> And the amount of heat and pressure he was under, um, I think he was pressured in the first half on something like 57% of snaps, which is, is incredible. Yeah. So it was a combination of factors. It really was. And if, you know, if Casey had a healthy O-line, I don't know if Tampa would have been able to do that as effectively. And yeah. while they did, and credit to them, they did a superb job and as good a job we've seen of shutting down, shutting down the Chiefs. There was a little bit of a perfect storm there. I think you can play that kind of thing on the back end when you can be aggressive up front and not be worried about. Yeah, I think I think I think the thing we were saying was that with their defense being able to hand off assignments that well, that there wasn't the movement that would allow them to have. You couldn't have a spot where Mahomes could say, "This is what the defense is giving us. This is where the pressure is coming from," because they're not moving. So he has maybe at the point he identifies it four seconds to try and explain it to a bunch of. Oh, Lyman, where they should be looking. Yeah, it wasn't great. What about yourselves, guys? Yeah, I thought it was the sophistication of the defense was what really uh, got me because we've seen Todd Bowles have his kind of galaxy brain ideas down to the season, and it's it's a very it's a very boomer bust strategy. We saw it kind of against uh, New Orleans the first time, and even against the Chiefs in the, in the regular season game. When it goes badly, they get absolutely destroyed. So. They were either going to play it safe or they were going to go try one of these crazy schemes, and they tried it, and they clearly put an incredible amount of work into it. I mean, oh, yeah. To have to, you know, to, the amount of kind of scouting work and kind of thought that went into who covers who and what kinds of play and everyone being on the same page and everybody knowing what their job is in every play, no matter what the Chiefs – and the Chiefs have so many weapons that you – it's almost impossible to stop all of it. I did, I did think – I do think Mahomes' toe injury probably might end up as kind of the, the background condition that kind of decides this game. Because I did think, especially in the first quarter, there was a lot of room for for uh, Mahomes to run when he when he wanted to. That the, the covering of PC and Hill, the, the, the kind of closing of the gaps that kind of opened up this space for Mahomes to run. He was, he was essentially the free player in a lot of plays. Um, yeah. And in the first quarter, he could run, but as the game went on and on and on, he started getting slower and more limpier. And I mean, he was trying. He's playing his heart out. But uh, ultimately, he just didn't have the physical ability to, to take advantage of what weaknesses the books were showing on defense. And there weren't many, but there definitely were one or two situations where they could have done something. Yeah, 100%, all credit to Tampa Bay defense. I mean, Brady gets the MVP. Brady gets the MVP, but um, the Tampa Bay defense as a collective is what won. The contrast between them and what the Kansas City defense didn't do, I think, I think is, is the kind of the big difference here is that Casey's defense just didn't do anything, whereas Tampa Bay's defense did everything they were fast. No, of course. Like we say, Tom Brady, uh, 21 to 29, 200 yards. Uh, he had three touchdowns and no interceptions, which obviously is a big difference from what, what we've seen in recent times is that in the second half, he tends to throw a few kind of ducks up in the air, whereas they were 
already far enough ahead that they didn't have to rely too much on his arm at that point, which I think assisted them. But yeah, it, uh, it, it was a spot we were discussing this, I think, last night and saying, like, who do you give the MVP to? Because yes, Brady had an okay game, but it was the defense that was that was doing it. You know, <laughs> you can't quite give a, you can't give the MVP to a defensive coordinator. So uh, that's not quite there. And you're right entirely, Sean, <laughs> that there was there was those uh, there was those runs early on where Mahomes was seeing the space and able to take it, but then you saw increasingly that it wasn't there. There is probably a criticism to be given to him that there was a couple of sections, particularly in the third and fourth quarters, where Mahomes was trying to keep plays alive was dropping back kind of 12, 13 yards and trying to just find the open people and was 100% it's because it's the game he plays and the way that he tends to find success. But uh, I don't know, Ronan, do you, did you think much of this? That, like he was doing that and they weren't coming open and it ended up with spots where maybe he should have been just more of the take the underneath, take the four or five yards instead of trying to make the big plays at that point. Because there are, particularly in the late third and early fourth quarter, there's an awful lot of plays where it feels like Mahomes trying to get the big shot was actually detrimental to them moving up the field because the deep stuff wasn't being given. I think like that certainly became more obvious as the game went on. Like as you got into the second half, obviously the the deficit kind of slowly creeped up. It wasn't that that Tampa Bay were kind of flying away from it at that point, but they just kind of did what they needed to do to keep racking up the scores. You know, you're now down by 20 or so points. You need to start like scoring quickly. And Patrick Mahomes is trying to save the day basically. And to be fair, outside of Travis Kelsey, who had a you know pretty solid game, 132 yards and 10 catches. You know, there weren't really much that was working in the offense. Like, early on, they were trying, like, screens. They were trying a bit of running, like, a little bit of running. And Tampa Bay were doing a really good job of shutting down those and, and diagnosing them. And Devin White, in particular, basically seemed to be all around the field. He's just such a, both, both in terms of his instincts as an inside linebacker, but just his pure physical gifts in terms of being able to get to the ball as quickly as he does means that it, you know, those type of plays just weren't happening for them. And so when the offensive line doesn't give you time to do the big shots early on, you kind of, you're missing that part of the game. You're not getting those 10, 15-yard chunks that are considered to be the slow version, in inverted commas, of the KC offense this season. Even And then you're kind of, yeah, you're relying on those, like literally going down to those three, four, five-yard type plays and doing those consistently. And that's just not the way the Kansas City offense is built for. And outside of Kelsey, I don't know if they have anyone with the consistency in terms of their hands, in terms of the right running to really build that type of offense around. Like there was a handful of drops in this game that, that were pretty bad, including from Kelsey himself. But, you know, they yeah. really put the mind. And of course, you know, when you're getting these like really silly penalties on, on defense and putting yourself in this hole, it just creates this issue where, yeah, like, like you know, like to be honest, like, as a Seahawks fan, this is very reminiscent of the bad times when Russell Wilson is literally trying to just generate something from anything and is twisting around. And, and there was a number of throws in Patrick Mahomes that felt very Russell Wilson-like, where the whole game plan had broken down so much he literally had to do everything himself. Whereas even at their worst, oh, since Mahomes has come in, generally they haven't looked that out of control. But once we got into the third quarter, it just felt like Patrick Mahomes, the whole offense had spun out of control. Tampa Bay were dominating the game. And even though Patrick Mahomes nearly spun gold from lead uh, several times just through his sheer force of will and his you know i'm thinking almost like the john woo type throw he did while he's like flying <laughs> sideways yeah that was pretty, really pretty impressive but like when you're relying on that and relying on that basically to carry the offense you're never going to win a game um against a, a, just a, such a well-rounded 
on every aspect of the game team like Tampa Bay. It just kind of felt like here's a complete team in Tampa Bay and here's a team in Kansas City that has a few superstars and they just weren't able to overcome the, the sheer you know, uh, difference in quality overall uh, that Tampa Bay were bringing to this game. Yeah, and actually you, you, you raised an interesting point there that there was just, there was an awful lot of penalties. Uh, the Chiefs, I think at one point we were looking at, we were like they they given up 100 yards in penalties like I think two or three minutes into the third quarter. It was... It was in this was bad, like because the, the worst part is obviously because I'm, I'm everyone, everyone who listens to the pod knows I'm a I'm a Chiefs fan. I just remember like looking at and there was there, there was points where there was inconsistencies in calls. There was you know a, a PI that made absolutely no sense to any of us at the time that allowed the the second or the third Tampa Bay touchdown. Like so the problem was that like it. While I didn't like the calls, it wasn't that there was a counterfoil that, you know, what we want is consistency in calls. It wasn't there was a counterfoil of that they weren't getting calls against that are for them as well. It was that, you know, maybe there was an occasional soft call for Tampa Bay, but it wasn't that Chiefs weren't getting the penalties. That they were just, you know, it, it, it wasn't a non-call situation. It was that we were just committing, like, mistakes, whereas Tampa Bay were just essentially playing pretty mistake-free football at the time. Yeah, I think that just came down to desperation. I think what you saw was after the first quarter was Tampa Bay who like saw that they were hitting this wall and just got progressively more and more frustrated with it. So you see Mahomes making progressively sillier mistakes yeah. in the plays and then the team reacting to that and giving way. Yeah, there was some definitely some calls that were a bit dodgy, but like there was a lot of calls again was just like committed out of a pure desperation of trying of hitting the wall and not being able to react to that i think that was where the kind of the main issue came from was that it became a almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of hitting the wall getting frustrated and then hitting the wall because you were frustrated yeah you definitely felt that particularly out of some of the uh defensive linemen you could see how they were getting into it like uh proclaimers was getting success early on but then you could see how annoyed that they were getting later on and how they started jawing at each other and there was there was definitely even on top of what I would say were soft calls and other stuff there was stuff that just wasn't called on the fighting between the offensive line of Tampa Bay and, and, and the Chiefs and not in a way that it's pro Chiefs I think the Chiefs players were the, uh, the ones that should have been flagged for it if I remember particularly I think it was the touchdown just before half time where you know, we watched it, and I think it was was it was it Okafor, whoever was on the tackle, that like went to punch out the ball, and then because they didn't punch out the ball correctly, just face masked the guy. It wasn't called. It should have been an extra fifteen yards. From it didn't make a difference because yeah. they scored a touchdown. But it was a spot where you could see the frustration in the Kansas City defense and them starting to commit more penalties and them starting to jump a second earlier or them to decide to throw a fist after the play had been blown dead. That it was just yeah, like they were. They were just not. I, I like. I say ill-disciplined, but I suppose we don't really. We can't quite get to the level of like, you know, you're the the top game that your sport has, and it's just not going your way. Like it'll be hard to stay disciplined in that spot. But yeah, there was definitely ill-discipline on the uh, on the approach of the Kansas City defense in particular. Their because their first half, having given up the points, was. You know they actually played pretty well. They had the they had the pick thing got called for uh, an offensive line hold, I believe, and uh, all that kind of stuff. They were producing, but then they just weren't like the offense wasn't doing anything, so it caused issues. And then then the annoyance set in, and it does it does make me worry that like we're looking at a team that 
kind of as we have essentially coasted most of its uh, most of its regular season, but then against a team that had kind of figured out what to do against them, were just you know almost immature in them hitting a wall and then just getting annoyed rather than being able to kind of figure their way out through it. I suppose this is a good time as any, given I presume we're around the halftime of the pod to discuss the halftime show. <laughs> so guys. Not to not to not to put down the weekend, but that felt like a work day. No, I, I think uh, I think if the weekend were to be put down after the halftime show, that would probably not be reasonable. <laughs> it was just nothing. It was nothing. It wasn't even didn't even rise to the level of like Black Eyed Peas, Maroon Five, Coldplay, awfulness. It was just uh, it was boring, and that's the worst thing it can be. Yeah, like I like I. I, I, I constantly have in the back of my head like maybe it's just that we are now <laughs> increasingly but to me there was nothing nothing in the halftime show like and yes there's not the ability to just have a load of paid dancers be a crowd on the field and all that kind of stuff but he just paid a load of dancers to be a crowd on the field in facial bandages I just didn't get it I'm also I'm relatively certain that it's not that I'm missing what it was meant to be I think it just wasn't fuck all yeah and the audio quality didn't help either oh god yeah the dancing um well, the dancing face masked people all that mm. just seemed to distract from the fact that the songs were just not that good I mean I don't think he's actually that good an artist I think is the fundamental problem and certainly doesn't have the presence to to carry a Super Bowl halftime. There's a certain charisma you need to, to yeah. kind of get a crowd on side and control. Like, the Bruce Springsteen thing comes to mind. That that man just, for the 15 minutes of his halftime show, everyone was glued to him because he had the stage presence to control the, the, the stadium, whereas the weekend just, yeah, there was just nothing there in terms of that at all. Yeah, like, the one that popped into the head was... Uh the Coldplay one that was like, you know, it was Coldplay and it was the most blessing thing in the world. And then for like four and a half minutes of that Coldplay thing, Beyonce was there and tore the living fucking arse out of it. It was just, it was cracking. And that put that over the edge. There was no, there's no kind of, I, I, sorry, there was pageantry, but there was no kind of, kind of event feel to it. There was nothing about it that kind of maybe go, oh yeah, now, now I'm on board. It just felt that kind of way. I desperately miss actual live stuff going on. Yeah. And I was looking forward to this on that basis of being like, okay, this might be the closest thing any of us gets to a proper concert all year. <laughs> but but I think I think that's I think a lot of what you're saying about like about Sean was saying about the charisma and being able to engage the crowd, like it just wasn't there. There wasn't that stage presence. And I'm not sure if that's part of the like it's just a fact of there isn't as much of a an ability to do that, yeah. Given the reduced capacity and all of that, and that whatever crowd you might have got on side, and if you got that crowd on side, then everyone else sort of goes in with it. That that occurred, and also there was the whole the I I, I also didn't get the the uh, blind boy dance group in in the black. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't necessarily yeah. get that. like like from from but, my understanding, uh, like I I basically I, I did I did like a like a an hour of like listening to his stuff and trying to read up on him a bit beforehand because like I'll be honest, I'm uh, I, I'm an early thirties lad who just like didn't even know what songs were the weekends <laughs> to be honest. From what I gather, there's something to do with, like, he's kind of a... Uh, actually, the Blind Boy one is an interesting person because he, he does have this, like, character rather than him being the one he's playing. And I think he was doing something for the last year about, like, wearing facial bandages and talking about, like, trying to do it about, like, plastic surgery and people... Want, so the, I think that was what that was for. But, like, 
you know, like I said, like it's lost entirely in translation. It doesn't make any sense to anyone that's watching it outside of his direct fans. And if it's a big show, because from what I gather, I think he put like seven million of his own money into that production. You're like, I, I don't, I don't get, I don't, I don't get what it was. Like there was, you know, like even things like you know, say Katy Perry, like her lover, the the show had a bit of fucking oomph. There was you know, giant you know, walking tigers and <laughs> that's kind of weird shit happening. Like, and those are things that aren't you know. Uh, restricted by COVID because it's just you know it's just production value. I don't see where seven million went into that production. I don't get the idea that that's winning fans. If anything, like, I'll be honest. I was like, oh, I know two of these songs. Some of these are right. I'm now more turned off than I was interested afterwards. <laughs> other than turned on, yeah, that's <laughs> last year, by, by the uh, by the by the production. Like it actually kind of sits almost as a negative rather than. A positive, but it, bizarrely, it's negative in the sense of like it's more negative because it was just so meh. Whereas, like, I think I probably get more interest or attraction from a bad performance than I do from such a oh, this is nice beige soup. I mean, if you saw that at EP, you might say something, but there's a different vibe when you're being asked to lead the halftime show. It just wasn't that vibe. Yeah, and it'd be the same thing if say like. Particularly, if, like, it's interesting you say that he is that this is all part of a character sort of thing, and that this like the particular meaning towards it. It's almost like if they if they got Childish Gambino to do it, mm. because you'd lo- you'd love to see Childish Gambino at an intimate sort of festival setting, but not necessarily at a sold out three arena crowd. Which yeah, is yeah, kind of what the equivalent comparator here is here. Yeah, like there, there, there was a little bit of the buzz in my head of like that the NFL were just happy to get a contemporary like black R&B artist, given that they've had such a bad track record, particularly with like the Kaepernick dealing players and all kind of stuff that like they just, that they weren't able like, like uh, I know it's kind of a constant joke for us, but like, you know, they, they had a Super Bowl in Atlanta and they had Maroon 5 do the halftime show, which is like, you know, <laughs> they literally had everyone very publicly refused to do that after so like I think they were basically we've got we, we've got a contemporary kind of black artist that's all we need and we don't need to worry about production we don't need to worry about like we're, ju- we're just happy to get basically a black person to play the halftime show because they've just been so bad with everything else that they were happy to be able to get a black person to actually do it I actually really buy that like they had her to do America the Beautiful I think that was a conscious choice and then obviously getting the anthem sung by uh a, a white country singer, yeah, a black artist that was very kind of like, oh, you know, it's the new post-racial, post-Trump America vibe. So, but I genuinely think there was a cachet thing they were they were going for there, and uh, yeah, I don't know if that worked. Uh, just given the, the general yeah. performance, yeah. I will say, unfortunately, poor, unfortunate for the weekend. I think that was that's definitely ranking in the like the bottom ten percent of the halftime shows I've seen. So I suppose like we talked about the we talked about the halftime. I suppose the big one now is just the uh, I'll come to Sean on this uh, and then and then Harry because I think we're going to the fellating Brady part. This is a, a 43, 44 year old quarterback who has swapped to a new team, has gone to it and unfortunately Sean I uh, is why I go to you first. It, it's a sad time. You talked about it in the last pod that you were perfect on the playoffs and then you picked against Brady on your perfect season, which I understand <laughs> the, the metrics of, but this is a, 
this is a, 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 a not a trivial thing. This is a massive achievement. The Brady in his first year outside of it, outside of the New England system, away from Bill Belichick, is able to have the success. Like we said, he has his touchdowns, but it wasn't uh, an overwhelming performance by him. But it, it was clinical. It was kind of reminiscent of a couple of those, uh, say, late 2010s teams where the where the talent wasn't there, but he was able to do what he could with the talent. And he was doing that even though he's surrounded by talent without able to carry him over the hump in this. It is still incredible to think that this bat at this age with a new team in a new system is able to turn what were, let's be honest, quite frankly, perennial also rants with a relatively similar roster outside of Gronk and Brown and a few people like that came in into Super Bowl winners and Frankly, like on the on the face of it, the only major change was him. It is very impressive. Yeah, I'd actually had forgotten that uh, the Tampa Bay win ruined my perfect season. So uh, yeah, it's a lot sadder now <laughs> that I've realised that. Yeah, on the Brady thing, I mean, it's it's just incredible. It's it's this might be his legacy performance, the one that really solidifies his his claim to be the best ever. Because but the the kind of the words against him were always that he was a system QB and it was Belichick as much as Brady, and we didn't really know how much. He was the star, and now he's gone, left the, the kind of comforts of New England and come and performed at an incredibly high level with a team that was just kind of assembled bit by bit. So, I mean, I think this will stand looking back as being this was the moment that everyone realized just how incredibly good Tom Brady was. And, I mean, it's it, it's his experience. It's the, it's the drive management. It's the, it's the contrast between what we were talking about earlier with Mahomes trying to desperately make every play a home run to the point at which he was, like, you know, making superstar throws that didn't seem possible versus Brady always taking what was available to him. And maybe that's what Mahomes needs to learn going forward is that sometimes you just need to take the, the, the six-yard slant or the, the kind of the check down or whatever the – you have to take what's available and you, you shouldn't try and push it because that's what Brady and Tom Brady in playoff mode is all about. It's about taking what's available. It's keeping the, the, the scoreboard ticking over. It's, it's getting the drives. It's controlling the clock. It, it's, it's kind of just being in control of the momentum of the game such that eventually the other team finds that they're suddenly 20 points down and they don't quite know yeah. how they've got there. So, I mean, absolutely just, I mean... Uh, incredible performance. I think. I think it's important to note is it, the age thing is, is something we're almost taking for granted at this stage. But is is actually incredible. He's won four Super Bowls since he's turned turned thirty six. Like that is just that is inconceivable. That's crazy. And he's about th- he's three years older than most of the other elite quarterbacks were when they had their breakdown seasons of of, of and had to retire. We only to think mm. about Breeze this season and the the way he's fallen off a cliff or that the the late the last season for Peyton Manning, and here Tom Brady is older than all of these guys and still winning Super Bowls um, and looking like he could do it for another five, ten yeah, years. Yeah, like if, if, if I remember correctly, I think it was, it was Peyton Manning was inducted into the Hall of Fame this uh, this week, and since <laughs> they were they were the you know going toe to toe guys, and his his greatest rival is inducted into the Hall of Fame the week that I think Tom Brady makes his like third Super Bowl post that guy's retirement. <laughs> like it is it is genuinely. Terrifying and impressive, but mostly terrifying element of that. Yeah, like Harry, there, there's definitely there's this very interesting 
part of that, which is that a lot of what people will say about Mahomes is that he landed in the perfect spot. Andy Reid is the coach that kind of works with the strengths of the of, of, of the players he has around him, and that like he, you know, that basically as good as he is, that it's about how kind of reciprocal that relationship is with the coach. Whereas, like, I'll be honest, I look at this this win for Tom Brady, and I kind of think that. Yes, it's it's incredible that he's gone to uh, a new system to a new head coach, but I also I get that feeling almost like a Peyton Manning going to Denver kind of level that this isn't this is also not the game that Bruce Arians tended to want to play. That this is actually much more that Tom Brady is stepped in and he knows how he wants to run this offense and he knows what he wants his team to be. Like we talked earlier in the year about how Brady came in and in the first couple of weeks was trying to play a Patriot style system of he wanted timing throws. He wanted to do what he had done beforehand and that wasn't working with the team. And he went to, do you know what? I can, I, I might be 43, 44. I can still whip it. Like if we build the system around that and they basically kind of melded a system to it. Like, do you think this is a, yes, there's an element that it's Tom Brady, but it's also like, in my head, I'm thinking that this is an awful lot more, almost like a Peyton Manning in the Broncos style system of Brady making the offensive system rather than Arians making that offensive system. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd necessarily go that far. It's certainly not at the, 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 the Manning level of, oh, you know, making Adam Gates look like a genius. I'm not trying to put Bruce Arians in the, that. There is an element of truth. I mean, when you look at it, Tampa changed during the season and Arians, you know, was playing, you know, they were playing the Arians system. The problem was that Brady was getting absolutely lit up because, you, you know, every play takes four hours to develop. Yeah. And 14 step drops. Yeah. I, I, I think what you've seen is kind of, and I think the super, I think this was, I think obviously a strategic decision to lean into playing a certain way very hard in the Super Bowl, but we have seen it throughout the season, Tampa Bay kind of modifying that approach and adapting to personal. That's, that's good. That's, that's just good coaching. You know, I mean, that's, that's all it is at the end of the day is if you, have somebody like Tom Brady and your system isn't playing to his strengths, it's insane to persist with that system. You've brought in this guy who is now the most successful NFL franchise of all time by himself. Yeah. Um, and why are you trying to play like he's, you know, a younger Carson Palmer or Jameis Winston or a big armed guy? Um, we saw that that's Tampa had a lot of struggles earlier in the season, and I think it was somewhere around the. It was relative. I think it was past the midpoint of the season. There was there was a real change, and I think how they played, and you can see that in Brady's numbers. His numbers went up from I think about two seventy five a game to about three twenty, um, a lot less turnovers, and I think probably the only reason it took that long as an Arians is obviously Arians has Arians system and it works for Arians. Yeah. But the fact that he was able to come around and do it, and I mean, even when you look at acquiring guys, there was clearly investment there, right? And I know you said at the start, oh, you know, he came in, all the pieces were in place. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think a single, I can't be wrong on this, I don't think a single Tampa Bay player who scored in the Super Bowl was on the roster a year ago. And they have clearly made, yeah, so Gronkowski, Brown, Suckoff, Brady, and Fournette. They have been willing to invest and put the pieces around him. And then it was a question of rights. We previously had a thing where we just hump it up to Goldman and Evans and hope for the best to putting in guys who can operate better in those short areas. And I think we see, we, we've seen sort of the culmination of that where they were able to just, it wasn't a demolition, but they were able to move the ball efficiently and pick apart the Chiefs where they needed to. And that was to play to Brady's strength. So I think that, like, I don't think it's quite as much as you say. It wasn't that the offense was handed over to Tom Brady, but I think there was a, there's definitely seen growth and change in how they've moved the system to play to their strengths. And that's what's culminated in what's been, let's be honest, an incredible playoff run. 
after a season where this team looked really, really flaky, sort of figured out what it was they needed to do to be successful. Yeah, I will say as well, there there, there is a small side point, which uh, someone could read that equally as being, James Winston has been ill-served by the NFL so far. <laughs> you can argue that. <laughs> I wouldn't, but you could. But no, uh, it has it, it has been an incredible run. The big one, because everyone's like, oh, this is, uh, even Sean said there, this is the statement when this is the, the legacy maker type uh, move. I'll be honest, I don't expect he's retiring and I also don't expect that given the successor able to figure out how much they figured out how to run the system with them I'm expecting that these guys are very much an entity that you can think about as a possible run back entity but yeah as we're saying like I can't I can't see a situation that that we're not going to have Tom Brady in the league next year I think they figured out what they want to do with him I think they're lined up for success yes at some point this decline is going to happen we see it with other players but if i'm if i'm putting my money on anyone playing for her you know he's already what three years past what we would expect four years past what we would expect if we're going to back someone to end up playing an awful lot more years than we expect it's going to be him i can't see tampa bay dropping out of contender status for the entirety of brady's reign i think they're might face a similar uh, New England problem of what do they do post that because I do think as much as it is a building a system around him it is still a system that's entirely dependent on that one player but yeah I don't know Gary would you expect to see Tampa Bay contending for the Super Bowl in a year or two do you think Tom Brady can last that long? I mean I think so I think you'd have to if, if Brady is sticking around alright if Brady is sticking around then Tampa are still in it because even if they're building toward because what Tampa can basically do is they can basically future-proof their team now. Where, while they're building a system that relies on Brady to work effectively, the distinction between Tampa and New England will be that Tampa know they have Brady for a finite amount of time. Mm. And that time is shorter rather than longer. Whereas, like, Tom Brady has been playing this game for 21 years, right? So he's been playing it for almost as long as Mahomes has been alive. And he's been <laughs> yeah. this New England... For like such a big part of that, so New England doesn't know how to function without Brady, whereas Tampa has functioned without Brady, and will eventually at some point have to work, and in the very near future have to do that again. So while they're building a system now which will work with Brady in it, they're also going to be going okay. We know Brady probably like he's forty three now, so he has probably at most two three years. Hmm. Like. <laughs> Like, unless they decide to, like, you know, <laughs> never, turn never, him into the cyborg that we know he actually ne- is. Ne- never count out 65-year-old Tom Brady. <laughs> yes. People have been saying that for Luke a decade. Perry you know? of American football. <laughs> uh, I'm with you entirely, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. There was, a, there was that other... Uh, I suppose, Roman, what do you think? There's, there's going to be no end of hot take articles this week <laughs> on the... And, and the thing is, the initial statement is fair, but the second part is weird. It's that they... Uh, like, this is the cementing moment for Brady. This is him winning a Super Bowl outside of the Bill Belichick entity, outside of New England, just showing that there is him separate from it. We're going to get no end of hot take articles for the next probably five or six months until, you know, football starts back of this is the final moment for Mahomes as the, you know, possible best player or whatever like that he's now lost to Brady Brady has shown him up and all that kind of stuff and to be honest he was frankly overall as much as I love him not the world's best performance I know he's dealing with uh, 
injury issues. I know that there were drops and all that kind of stuff, but it was, and obviously I suppose the, <laughs> the lack of any starting alignment from the start of the year. But like, you know, people will say this is definitional. Do you think, just, just in the abstract, do you think this is definitional or do you think this is an entity added to itself that like, yes, we'll remember it, but it's, is it something that if we're talking in 25 years time when Tom Brady is still playing and Pat Mahomes is retired and is looking at the Hall of Fame that this discussion will be at? <laughs> no, I think it's not definitional. I think they're, you know, Brady has a two to one advantage right now in terms of pivotal games. Obviously you can't do anything more than play Tom Brady in the AFC Championship until he moved to the NFC. Um, <laughs> so that's fantastic. Well, fucking played. In terms of in terms of the be- in terms of the big games, Brady has the advantage right now. But I think Brady's definitely back next year. You know, given where he is, as we just talked about, there he's going to be around for a little bit more longer after that. And you know, with a fully you know, if KC were fully healthy, would would this have game have gone like it did? Like you know, you have to have major questions around that. And like Tampa Bay, like look, they're they're a team that you know is built to win now. They're obviously very talented on both sides of the ball. They have a few younger players they can get away with. But you know, I imagine now that you've won the Super Bowl, guys like you know Sue and Gronk maybe and Fournette might be willing to take a little bit of a discount. And don't forget, Tom Brady himself. He's only getting twenty five million a year, which for a quarterback of his level is yeah. ridiculous. I think that's around the same as Derek Carr is getting right now. Where you talk about <laughs> I think that's slightly less than Derek Carr actually. You know, if you look um, at the, the amount of money that the, the starting quarterback's getting in the league right now, Tom Brady's in like the bottom like near the like you know, the bottom third, like that kind of area. So that's yeah. a huge advantage. Like that's an extra you know, that's the money you need to pay Shaq Barrett to come back, for example, compared mm. to a Kansas City. And yeah, you have all these veterans like, you know, Devontae David, Sue, Gronkowski, Fournette, uh, Antonio Brown, you know, all these guys, you know, they're at the back end of their career. Um, you know, they might be willing to take a, a re- not, not a super reasonable contract, but not, not a ridiculous contract either. They were all, yeah, yeah. you know, except for Antonio Brown, they were all in like 10 million anyway. So, like, I, I don't think this is definitional for, for Pat Mahomes. Like, he will, if he plays long enough, he will have his own sections of his career. And like, don't forget, like Tom Brady's basically had like, you know, two, possibly even three Hall of Fame careers. Pat Mahomes is already well on his way to a Hall of Fame career in the first, hopefully, like, third of his career, too. So, you know, I think winning hold, is important. Hold, but, hold, know, hold up right. a second, I wrote it. You said first third of his career, he's been, he's been a starter for three years. Please let it last longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first, I'm not saying the third is <laughs> even this. And I, I think there is a difference between Pat Mahomes and what he's done so far and Tom Brady and some of the other quarterbacks who've had early success like Ben Roethlisberger or mm. Russell Wilson, whereas you know, Patrick Mahomes is already the driving force of that team. He's already uh, the tractor, the, the truck. He is the one pulling that team. Whereas even, you know, even if you go back to the beginning of the career of Tom Brady uh, or people like Russell Wilson who haven't gone quite as well since they won the Super Bowl, you know, they were being pulled by elite defenses, by, you know, some, you know, lucky moves and stuff like that. But with the with the CV that Pat Mahomes has right now, you can squarely put that on him as being an elite quarterback already. So if he's very unlucky and things don't go right in terms of contracts, you could end up like Aaron Rodgers, where he's undeniably considered the most talented quarterback of his era. But I think genuinely, you know, if he has a career near near as long as Tom Brady, I would expect him to be up there in the conversation. What, what you're saying there is also one of the other hot takes I think we're going to get for the next six months, which uh, 
thing is, I, 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 I was asking, I know you do, but you're a fan of them. They're like, I think Russell Wilson is very good. I think the uh, we're going to get nothing but inundated with uh, Russell Wilson, Papa Holmes comparisons because they have a eerily similar trajectory so far. Of we have losing a conference game, win a Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl MVP. And then the following year, lose a Super Bowl to Tom Brady. <laughs> so oh, we're yeah, we're going to get no end of that comparison, regardless I of what we try and do. Maybe, but I don't think that's going to happen too much because, like that team that won with Russell Wilson was very obviously a defense-led team. Yeah, and the City Chiefs are not a defense-led team; they are a team with, you know, good opportunistic defense oftentimes. But it has been Patrick Mahomes' offense and Andy Andy Reid's, you know. Um, Offense yeah. that has really driven the team. So I do, I do think I don't, I don't see that happening. Like I think even you know the hot takes right now. Obviously, some people are saying, "Oh, Pat Mahomes, he was trying too much," and even we've said a little bit there. But like, let's be honest. Like considering all of the constraints that existed, considering the amount of pressure that was going on, considering the, some of the things he was trying to do just to get them back into the game due to a hole that wasn't really his fault. It was ill discipline. It was like shanked pun- punts. It oh was, God, um, I forgot about the shank punch. Stop pass. reminding me. Someone give Connor a hug, for God's sake. The team just piled a load of stuff on, you know, just put it on and said, Pat Mahomes, sort this out for us. And this time, it, it wasn't enough. But, you know, if he was fully healthy with a good offensive line, maybe it would have been enough. But in this case, given everything that existed there, the, the context and the mistakes that just kept piling up, not too much to hit due to him himself. Um, like the fact that he only got sacked twice while <laughs> had a pressure rate of like oh god it was something ridiculous <laughs> yeah it was like 68 percent i think tw- he had 27 pressures and only three sacks that's a pretty good conversion <laughs> <laughs> there's a few moments where we were down, down and like i can't believe he actually got a pass off yeah. there like yeah so i have no worries about pat mahomes in terms of the you know the, the goat story but of course the reason that tom brady is the goat is that he is the ultimate pragmatist. It's not about having the best plays or doing, uh, you know, having the highlight reels. Like he had like the best offense in football, and it wasn't enough to win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, in the most you know heartbreaking fashion possible from his perspective. Yeah. And so he has been the arch pragmatist down the back end of his career. He's operated in two tight end sets in a run first offense. Now when he comes to here, Tampa Bay starts airing it out again, um, but mixing it in with his kind of more things he's more comfortable with to kind of get it going. For Tom Brady, there is only winning. And I think this is a testimony, like what he's done with this team in terms of the levels that he expects from his teammates and the way that they talk about him in terms of coming in and taking a headstrong coach and kind of turning him around. Like Tom Brady is about winning and that creates a winning culture around him. And, yeah. you know, given what he has done, there is no way that you can't respect him as the ultimate winner in NFL history. Like if Pat Mahomes can equal it, fair play to him. But... It's going to be a long, long Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's difficult to try and shadow that. I've got to say, when we're talking about like Brady's longevity, you have to remember right now that the rest of that division is an absolute mess. Mm. So it's even if you know, even if Brady regresses and uh, the impossible happens, the Bucks are still going to be a playoff team because like, yeah. the state of the rest of the team is... Well, that's the thing. So it's like the, like the, 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 the major problems are no longer problems like the saints are drew breezeless let's james winston led saints james, they, they've got james winston <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's all, I, don't know, I, I suppose you say Rona there like it is it, it probably is a definition like you can you can spin it that way but you can easily spin it the other way of like this is the first game 
that Pat Mahomes has lost by more than a score. So like his he 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 hit, he hit ten losses in his second Super Bowl. He uh, he had his first game that he lost by more than one score in his second Super Bowl in three years as a starter. Like it's it, it, it it's easy to swing it either way, but I, I think we all know what the what the discussion dynamics are going to be around that. So I suppose the only thing I have to ask is all, I'll go, I'll, I'll go person by person on this. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl next year? Uh, well, after this discussion, do you know, it's tough for me not to see the Chiefs not being back there, genuinely. I think we could well see a rematch or it could be Chiefs-Packers. But yeah. I think the Chiefs okay. are, I, I would, well, barring Mahomes getting injured, yeah. the Chiefs should be there again. Fair enough. Uh, Ronan? Yeah, I think a rematch is right now the most likely situation. I don't look at their respective contracts up in terms of free agency uh, that neither these team can't put together what got them to here. And with, like, yeah, Green Bay, can they get over the hump? But I think with Green Bay, are we worried they have a bit of a soft underbelly in the uh, NFC? And there's no one else really that, that kind of stand out as being a, an automatic kind of comparator. And then in the AFC, you have a lot of really good teams, but they all felt a step below Kansas City this year even when Kansas City weren't playing well. And I don't know how they're going to take that next step to actually get on to Kansas City's level. Sean? Yeah, in the AFC, probably the Chiefs, maybe the Bills, but I would say the Chiefs mm. are a strong favourite. In the NFC, my money is actually on the Rams. I, I think that, mm. that whole project might come together. Next nice, year. nice. Um, so that would be interesting to, to, to see. I, I think Stafford is the piece that they were missing, so I, I would put the Rams as my NFC pick. At this Very point. good. Uh, Gary? I think the most likely thing is a rematch, I think, but I, th- I would also be very glad and hopeful that we might see the Bills make make a, a concerted effort to get in. I think that they were very unlucky this year, year. I think that they played a blinder of a season mm-hmm. uh, and that they deserve to get as far as they did and potentially get further. But you also can't deny the power of the narrative that is... With Brady versus Mahomes, we got the Tyson Ali fight that we never got. Who wouldn't want to see that again? Yeah, uh, my my one is going to be Bills 49ers Is my guess. I think the, you, I you think, look like a genius if you got that right. I think I think, I think the 49ers are going to Put get. Put a bet on that now. Oh, hundred percent, I would. Yeah, uh, betting shops are open. <laughs> it's Monday, so yes, yeah, everything is shut. I presume at this point with COVID. But yeah, basically, uh, I, I've got a feeling the Forty Niners were always just, just there, thereabouts. But injuries decimated. I expect them to change quarterback over this off season, and I think that as a team. Uh, that's was the only thing I haven't, that's what Jokely haven't factored into is uh, whether or not the loss of Salah will cause a collapse in that defensive. I'm, I'm guess I think the 49ers are going to research quite hard, and I reckon that Josh Allen, the movement from last year to this year and how good he was as uh, as a quarterback, I expect to see at least a plateau, but probably some more growth in there. And I got a feeling that we're going to end up as we'll, we'll be there thereabouts. It might be a divisional round, or it might be a, it might be a championship game. But I got a feeling that the Bills, they've got they've got the players for it, and they've got. I, I feel like the Bills are like all, like the Chiefs two years ago at the moment, that they are just there, thereabouts, mm-hmm. and I can see them jump up on us. I think there's some... there's I think as much as it is a, like, yes, the Chiefs played well, and there's some things that they fucked up in this game, I think there's some structural things that they need to look at. As the league catches up to us, I think we were ahead of the league for the last year or two, 
we are now being caught up to and we haven't evolved all that much. We coasted most of this year and I hopefully we will be better, but I'm not I'm not sold that we will be the AFC centre next year. Doesn't it feel so weird having this discussion like for the first time in since the podcast was begun and the Patriots aren't mentioned. Isn't that fucking... Yeah, it is It is pretty fucking weird, to be honest. Like, also, that, like, it's not just that the Patriots aren't mentioned. It's that, uh, like, my pick, um, at least one other person's pick, is for someone in the division <laughs> with the Patriots to be the guys that are like, yeah, these Mad guys are the, are the daddy dicks of that division. Like, so I suppose the only thing that's left to say is, well, you on. know... One thing... We, there was another historic thing that happened last night that we didn't mention. It's the first time a Mr. Irrelevant has won a Super Bowl ring. Ryan Suckup. Ryan Suckup was Mr. Irrelevant? Yes. I didn't know that. First time it's ever happened. There you go. Very good. Very good. Excellent. So I suppose, as always, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook and stuff, but like, we're, 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 we're I think, taking about six or seven weeks off now. <laughs> so send the messages. We might end up just doing an entire episode of questions. <laughs> that right. But uh, it's bye from me. It's bye from Harry. See ya. It's bye from Ronan. Bye. It's bye from Sean. Bye. It's bye from Gary. Sloan. And it's bye from fucking Tom Brady's continued exits. Uh, yeah, it's been all four quarters. I am starting to slip into that hangover and uh, it's been real. Catch you in about two months.